You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hej allihopa, välkomna hit. Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of Sweden in Focus. I'm your host Tom Henley. Det som regeringen Löfven gör nu det är att de, de slår sönder den svenska modellen. The Swedish political scene was shaken to its core this week as a left party ultimatum kicked off a strange sequence of events that threatens to bring down the current government. Det gäller att göra det bästa för Sverige. Det måste hela tiden vara det som är prioritet. Det bästa för Sverige, det är det som gäller. We are going to take a magnifying glass to what on earth just happened and what it can mean for the future of Sweden. We're also looking into the COVID reopening plans and a journalist's pet peeve when it comes to a specific culinary custom. Sweden in Focus is sponsored by Academic and Arkasa, providers of income insurance for university graduates in Sweden. This week we have back with us once again CEO and founder of the local James Savage and the editor of the local Sweden Emma Lefgren. How's it going guys? Good, thanks. Good. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. It's been a hectic week and especially a crazy f- last 48 hours that has brought about a pretty historical turn in events here in Sweden and so that's what we're going to be talking about today, right? Yeah, it's um it's big news. Um uh, and really interesting and um and slightly chaotic, which is what we journalists love, so you know, no problem with that. Exactly. Episode 2 Sweden in focus, perfect. Sweden in chaos. Sweden in chaos. <laughs> Also with us today is the Locals European editor, Catherine Edwards. How has your week been, Catherine? Uh, It's been busy, but good. And of course, behind all the political chaos, there is still the little question of the pandemic. And that's something you're looking at a little more closely today, right? Yes, I'm going to talk a bit about Sweden's plans for relaxing the COVID restrictions and also what our readers at the local think about that. Great. And joining us from Malmö is the British journalist, Richard Orange. How are you doing, Richard? Fantastic. Yeah, it's um, it's I don't know how, how it is up in um, ch- sort of chilly Stockholm, but in Malmo it's sweltering today. I think it's going to be 30 something degree or 30 degrees at least. So it's, uh, it's oh, wow. the best day of the summer. So it's great. Lovely, lovely. Okay, let's get to the episode. Okay, James and Emma, please help me to understand what on earth has just happened. Where do we start? Do you, gonna, do you want to go first, James? <laughs> All right, I will try. So in very, in very broad terms. So we have this government right now, which is composed of the Social Democrats and the Green Party with support from the Centre Party and um, previously the Liberal Party. It's all a bit complicated there. We'll park that discussion for a second. But also reliant on the passive support, effectively, of the Left Party the sort of former former communist and most left-wing party in parliament. The government um, 
basically at uh, the Centre Party's um, initiative, um, has ordered a review into the um, into into uh, rent into the rental market, particularly looking at whether they could um, have market rents on newly built apartments, which is incredibly controversial for the left party, but it's something that the centre party is very keen on. So this review was published, proposing um, liberalising the rental market on new built um, new new built apartments, and this crossed something that the red that the left party had already said would be a red line for them. So the left party decided it no longer had confidence in the government. Om statsministern inte respekterar det, går vidare med det förslaget, så finns det automatiskt inget förtroende längre för den här regeringen. What we were sort of thinking earlier this week is that the left party doesn't have the votes in parliament to raise a vote of no confidence in the government. So it felt like an empty threat at the time. You need 35 votes in Parliament to do so. The left party only has 28. However, then came the Sweden Democrats. The Sweden Democrats, on the completely on completely the opposite side of Parliament from the left party, said, "Hey, we don't have confidence in the government either, and we have the votes to raise a motion of no confidence." Och nu idag så dök chansen upp, därför att vänsterpartiet bestämde sig för att de är beredda att göra det även tillsammans med Sverigedemokraterna. Och det är ett väldigt stort steg och jag är väldigt glad för det. Vi har ju sagt ända sedan vi kom in i riksdagen att vi We thought this might happen, but what we also thought and what many people thought was that the um that the left party would never support a motion raised by the Sweden Democrats. Why would they, right? Why who would think that would happen? Why would they? Except what happened now was not only did the moderates and the Christian Democrats support the um say say they would support the, the Sweden Democrat motion but now the left party has also said that it doesn't matter that it's a Sweden Democrat motion we will support it anyway it's a very straightforward motion it just says that the the Riksdag uh, the parliament doesn't have confidence in the government and the left party says now that it can vote for that which basically means that if it follows through with that on monday the government falls and sweden either moves towards a new election or towards trying to find a new government from the current parliament. So a lot is hanging on this. And if they lose, it would be the first time in history that a government loses a no-confidence motion in the Swedish parliament. So this is a huge moment. And I want to, I want to get into a little bit more about what could actually happen on Monday and what this really all means. But I think it's important for us to take a step back quickly and just have a look at them where we are right now, what happened in such a short amount of time by these small parties that we talked about last week with the Liberal Party. The Liberal Party. And, you know, Emma, you mentioned the Liberal Party last week, and it just kind of goes to show how how big of an impact these small parties can make when it comes to, you know, the impact of the political scene in Sweden, right? Yeah, I mean, Sweden's got a minority coalition government at the moment, and it is like in terms of the number of seats in parliament, etc., it is a very weak government. Uh, it's interesting that in the history of the Swedish parliament, there have been 11 no-confidence votes in total. All okay. have failed. Six of these have been against Stefan Löfven's government since it came to power in 2014. Wow. That's more more, more than half of Sweden's total no-confidence votes. Does uh, it, is, do you, sorry to interrupt, but do you think that is because of the 
Lafian government, or is it because of the political scene nowadays? Uh, I think it's probably mostly the political scene. It is a very weak government, so obviously the the opposition parties they sort of they smell blood and they will take any opportunity that they get to, you know, topple the government. I mean, it's a weak government because partly because it's 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 built on um, the support of parties that really have very little in common. Um, so, you know, it's it's basically built by parties that what they that, that, that are united by a desire to keep the Sweden Democrats out of power. And that's pretty much that's pretty much what what unites them. I mean, in terms of economic politics, it's really um, that it's, it's, it's a really broad coalition between the centre party, which is, you know, a, a very kind of economically liberal party and the, and the left party, which is an extremely, I suppose you would say, an, an economically illiberal party. It's a very left-wing party, very statist party. Um, so, you know, you've got these two parties um, that, that have to somehow reach an accommodation with the Social Democrats somewhere in between. And that's really, really hard to do. Yeah, and the Social Democrats, I mean, they actually agree with the left party on market rents. They don't like them either. This is like one of the concessions that they've had to make in order to get the support of the centre and liberal parties. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people are concentrating on what this means for the future of the Social Democrats and Stefan Levine, but I also think it might be worth uh, taking a look at what this means for the left party. Uh, I think a lot of uh, voters, I know a lot of people that do vote for the left party, I know, you know a lot of people that vote for the Social Democrats, but I think that from what the people I've talked to in the last few hours, and I'm talking hours because this is ongoing stuff, I think a lot of them are quite shocked by this move by the left party. They, they thought maybe this was is an extreme, uh, dangerous move for them to make, um, which is interesting because I think a lot of them would like to, for the left party's voice to be heard more, but now it is being hit, heard. Maybe it was it is a dangerous way of it being heard. Do you think Do you think this could damage the left party or do you think maybe it would uh, give them a better standing when going forward? Depends how it, it depends how this plays out, right? I think um, if, if what happens now, which might happen, is that over the course of this weekend, perhaps by the time you're listening to this podcast, which is always a danger of recording these things, um, what might happen over the course of the weekend, for example, is that Stefan Levian gives, makes enough concessions to the left party that the left party stands down. Then the left party has won something through this brinkmanship. And I think it will be seen as a, as a victory for the left party. You know, it could also be seen as a victory for the left party if the government falls in, in the confidence vote, but a new government that looks very much like the current government is formed perhaps with a few more concessions to the left party. What's also possible is, there's, is that there is a new election in which the liberal, in which in which the left party does well, and you end up with a centre-left government. That's also a possibility. That's also a possibility. Of course, what would really damage her in the long run and make and 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 make people um, see this 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 strategy as a as a failure is if there is a new election and uh, a right-wing government supported by the Sweden Democrats takes power, because if there's one thing that um, is an anathema to the um, to the left party and their supporters it's 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 the sweden democrats and the thought of them being um, in a position of significant influence okay so just to get back to where we are sweden democrats have raised a no confidence motion in parliament and the left party somewhat surprisingly as you mentioned james and emma have backed this motion so 
Does this mean that Stefan Levine will be kicked out of power? No. No. <laughs> Why do you say no so confidently? Well, I mean, first of all, we could get a scenario in which the Social Democrats do make some concessions between now and Monday that lets the left party sort of backtrack with their kind of dignity intact. Um, and secondly, Stefan Levien has proven to have somewhat of an uncanny knack for surviving political crises. I mean, I thought his press conference on Thursday had very strong bring-it-on energy. Då har jag två alternativ. Det ena är att utlysa extraval och det andra det är att begära om ett ledigande. Very few of the parties really, really want a new election. The left party won't want a new election. They'd rather have Stefan Löfven in power than Ulf Kristersson from the moderates. Um, the liberals definitely don't want a new election right now because they're well below the threshold for even getting a seat in parliament. Etc, etc, etc. We'll be right back. With Sweden's system of unemployment insurance, it's easy even for Swedes to miss out on the benefits of joining an Arkasa. Arkasas are the employment fund that pay out income-related insurance benefits if you lose or quit your job. Membership of Akademikernas Arkasa, the top provider for university graduates, costs just 140 Swedish kroner per month. So, 10 years worth of fees corresponds to roughly one monthly payment if you become unemployed. It's like a regular insurance policy for your car or your home, but designed to protect your income. But there is one key difference. As Akademikernas Arkasa is not for profit, it won't charge you a fortune. Employees, the self-employed and even students can join. For more information, visit the Akademikernas Arkasa website. Now, get your pen and paper ready because I'm going to spell this out for you and direct you to the English language homepage. It's www.akademikernasakasa.se forward slash en. And if you think that was tricky, just wait until you find out what Arkasa is short for. Catherine, would you agree that Sweden's plans to relax some of the COVID-19 restrictions is probably on most people's minds right now? Um, yes, definitely. I think so. Um, everyone's, of course, looking forward to things getting back to normal. So in a way, people are really looking forward to these, these restrictions going away. But then also with the way the situation is changing all the time, especially with changes like the new Delta variant. There are also concerns about, is this happening too quickly? And is it going to send us back, uh, backwards? So what does the government's five-stage reopening plan look like exactly? What are those five stages? Um, well, the first one has already happened. At the start of June, some of the restrictions were eased slightly. Um, and it's five incremental steps relating to the laws that are in place to to curb the spread of, of COVID. So an important thing to, to know is that Sweden's measures are split into the laws, which are set by the government. And those mostly relate to how many people can be at events and also opening hours and visitor numbers for shops and restaurants and so on. And then we also have the non-binding, but still they still have a basis in law, which are the recommendations from the public health agency. And that's things that are more down to individuals, things like working from home, 
only socializing with the people you're you're closest to. So the five-step plan is primarily linked to extending opening hours, the number of people who can be in shops and restaurants, and also allowing more people at certain types of events. So there are different numbers depending on if the event is outdoors or indoors, and if you have a designated seat as well. So it's, it's quite complicated. I know that the local recently asked a bunch of international residents of Sweden how they felt about the reopening plans. Can you tell me a little bit about the feedback that you guys got? Yeah, we heard from 80 international residents in Sweden. Uh, it wasn't a scientific survey. It was just a few of the local readers who chose to speak to us. So it's more of a snapshot. And as usual, whenever we do these surveys, we heard from some people who said, Uh, the reopening plan and Sweden's strategy in general was great and they appreciated having these freedoms. But a slight majority said they thought that the the reopening was happening too soon um, and not not bringing in the right measures at the right time. That I find that kind of interesting because my immediate gut reaction, I think, would be that people are ready for things to reopen again. But were you surprised by these, by the uh, results or did, was it something you were expecting to see? Um, it, it's quite consistent with what we've had the whole time. And I think part of it now is that people are looking forward to these these things changing. A lot of people said they were excited to dine out a bit more now that restaurants can stay open longer. They're excited to go to events, things like races and sport activities can have more people, which is very important for people's mental health, especially in the lovely summer weather. Um, But because we've been living under these restrictions for a year, and of course, we all know how important they are in keeping everyone safe. So people are a bit anxious. And of course, a lot of people just want assurance that this is the right thing to do. I I wonder, because these are 80 international residents, uh, how much of this mistrust that seems to be coming through, how much of that do you think is is part of the language barrier, communication? or What what do you think that mistrust comes from, if we can call it mistrust? I think a big factor is that when you're an international resident and you have close ties to other countries, you see that things are being done differently elsewhere. So you might see that another country, maybe the country you're from or a country you've lived in previously, uh, still has strong mask requirements, for example. So I think part of it is that when you're comparing it to other countries, you are always drawing those those comparisons. And perhaps if you've grown up in a country, you might be more inclined to think they're doing the right thing or the numbers of cases and hospitalizations in that country might suggest that they're, they're handling it better. So I think a lot of it is about what else you're being exposed to. I mean, most members of the gen- general public don't know naturally the best way to control a pandemic. So we trust Mm -hmm. what we're hearing from the authorities we trust, whether that's here in Sweden, the World Health Organization, or in our home countries. Isn't it interesting as well, though, that when you look at a lot of the... I thought it was interesting that there was this group um, this kind of quite quite sort of militant group of um, anti-Swedish strategy campaigners um, uh, called uh, I think called Mivas, and I forgot what it actually stands for now. But they were the, the, this group of anti of, of sort of um, anti anti Swedish strategy campaigners who who were saying that Swedish strategy was 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 too weak, and they were um, they were trying to sort of campaign for a stronger Swedish strategy. Um, and they got a lot of criticism for being a little, a little bit, a little bit too full on um, in some parts. A lot of them were foreigners living in Sweden. A lot of the leading people in that group were foreigners living in Sweden. I think um, 
perhaps while this group was was perhaps on the on the more militant side of of, of that um of that of that sort of section of opinion i think it's still it, it still is sort of reflective of the fact that a lot of foreigners living in sweden were nervous about the about about what what they saw as a relatively lax approach here particularly sort of um in the first half of the of, of the pandemic so far mm. i'd say yeah, and it might it might be that it might be that that in in that first half of the pandemic, when people were really frustrated at what was happening, they kind of locked into a kind of they lost their trust in the Swedish authorities. So then, regardless of whether it's rational to open up now, they've already lost their tr- their trust. So they, they they go, well, what are you doing? I don't didn't it didn't work last time. How do you know there's not going to be a fourth wave? And if how even if they say, well, because half the population is vaccinated or, or more than half, that, that still doesn't cut any ice anymore because they've already lost the trust of the foreigners in Sweden, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And some of them might not have had such high level of trust even to begin with if their main experience with Swedish authorities has perhaps been a delayed uh, a delayed case handling by the migration agency or bureaucracy when they move here. I think there's perhaps a lower level of trust that's more easily lost to begin with. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, especially at the start of the pandemic, there was a lot of talk about how uh, in Sweden we trust our expert authorities, but I mean, a lot of people who live in Sweden haven't been given a good reason to trust authorities because of all this bureaucracy that you mentioned, Catherine. It would be interesting to come back to this again when the five-stage reopening has been rolled out to maybe talk to the same 80 international people to see what their feelings are by then. Yeah, and so much is going to depend on so much is going to depend on on, on the on the kind of epidemiological situation, right? I mean, it's going to depend uh, ha- how people feel about it afterwards. Is going to depend on what happens now um, to inf- to infection rates and you know death rates, hospitalisation rates. Um, if things keep improving, then uh, then then I guess people are going to chill out a bit more. Yeah, that mistrust may turn to trust. Exactly. Yeah, so if you go to the locals' website, you can see the full article, which shows the different responses that we got to our survey. Okay, we'll be right back. If you're new in Sweden, or you've yet to master all the intricacies of Swedish working life, you may not be familiar with the unemployment insurance system here. Unemployment insurance is compulsory in most of the EU and the UK, but in Sweden, it's partially voluntary. But what does that mean for you? Well, to be entitled to the full income insurance benefits available in Sweden, you'll need to join an R-CASA, like Akademikernas R-CASA. An R-CASA is an unemployment fund that pays income-related insurance benefits, and Akademikernas R-CASA is Sweden's biggest provider for university graduates. You're eligible to join if you're a university graduate and currently work or have previously worked in Sweden, the EU, EEA or Switzerland. Want to protect your income in the event that you lose or choose to quit your job at a cost of just 140 Swedish kroner per month? Join Akademikernas Arkasa. You could receive up to 26,400 kroner per month before tax. Richard, you are a British journalist uh, who, in your own words in, on Twitter, got marooned here in Sweden. How, how did that happen? Uh, the, the usual, the usual reason. Uh, I met my wife in, in Kazakhstan and uh, she dragged me back here and that was the end of it. And I've been stuck here ever since. And how, how long is ever since? Uh, about 10 years. Okay. And I think for most of us who have moved to Sweden from somewhere else in the world, there will always be these little strange, bizarre sides of Sweden that no matter how long we live here and how well we adjust 
they'll always be a bit strange to us. For me, it, it was the uh, queuing for the bus at the bus stop. I always thought that was very strange. There were a, a good three, four meters distance between each person. But now I realize that was basically good practice for the COVID-19. But what, what, Richard, I know that you have a story about this, uh, your own little interest in, a, in one of these Swedish phenomenons. Is that right? Yeah, this is one of my pet peeves. Pretty much the first summer I came here, about a month after there was a craft cleaver. And so, which is a, this crayfish eating party. And we, mm. we went there and it was a really alternative crowd. I mean, to look at them from British perspective, you would have expected them to be sort of anarchists and they were all, you expected them to behave extremely wildly, but I was amazed at how formal they were. And they all sort of sat there <laughs> bolt upright at the table and just stared at the food for what for me felt like hours before they started uh, eating it. And, uh, and I'm quite impatient. I found it very frustrating to have to wait there in this really awkward social situation. Like the, the conversation was so stilted, I couldn't, and it, it, it was a, a real surpri surprise. Uh, and then, um, but then I realized that it wasn't just then. One of my wife's people at university had their sort of uh, big party that they have when they get their PhD, when they Get, uh, finished their doctorate and it was a formal dinner and we sat down and the food was out in front of us I think it was laid out on our plates and then we had to wait while they made a speech and I think her husband played a horn concerto and we were just stuck there staring at the food and nobody was touching it and I I just thought what's going on and and then and then I've also seen it come again and again like even at family Christmases with my wife's family or Easter Again, the spread gets laid out at the table and then you sit and look at it for a long time before you start eating. And I think it's, it's a kind of the, in the UK, you don't want to be the first to, you know, you don't want to eat the last cake. You want to show that you've got some self-restraint and not like eat the last cookie on the plate. But in Sweden, it seems to be that it works in the other way too, that people want to show that they've got the self-restraint to sort of sit there and, and not be the first to eat the hors d'oeuvres or eat the cakes or whatever, which is difficult for me because in England, I would be the first <laughs> to eat all of these things. So I thought it'd be interesting to look into. And I went on um, one of the expat Facebook pages and I sort of said, you know, has anyone, anyone else feel this? And, and I got a very mixed response. So some people were like, no, you know, you're, what are you like? What kind of an uncivilized person are you that you can't just wait for a bit before you start eating? And some people are like, yes, we see this all the time. We've, we've learned to, to eat before we go to dinners because otherwise we're going to get hungry. So oh, yeah, I know that one. And a lot of uh, foreigners, there was an American au pair who says that she really struggles because her family just lays out the table and spend hours eating, waiting to eat. And I, I said, quite a lot of people agreed with me. Quite a lot of people disagreed with me. And then when, we, when I wrote the article, I think there was a lot of pushback. I mean, almost everybody disagreed <laughs> on Facebook. And they were, what did some of that pushback look like? Uh, it was just that this isn't true. You know? And I think that, that the big mistake that I'd made is that I, I, I used a bit of sort of hyperbole in the headline. And I said, you know, why do Swedes wait till their food gets stone cold before they start eating it? And people, a lot of people took that literally. And of course, you know, Swedes do eat food that's a bit warm sometimes, you know? <laughs> sometimes. Emma, Emma, I have to go to you, Emma, who is the only Swede here on the panel. What do you think uh, about what Richard is saying here? I've never had a hot meal in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we are. No, I, I completely agree with Richard, actually. Yeah, you, you just... But, but, 
Didn't you do this in all countries? Didn't you just wait until everybody's been served before you start eating? But there's a difference, isn't there, about waiting before everyone's been served and then having this, uh, you know, Mozart concerto that concerto, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I looked up the etiquette of this and I thought, I was, I was trying to say, okay, but what, what, what are you supposed to do? And what, what, I, what I read that you're supposed to do is you, you get your starters, then someone gives a welcome speech that should take no more than two minutes and then you should tuck in. Um, but it seems that that is a sort of an etiquette rule that is more, um, well, that is often, that's often breached. I wouldn't say it's more honoured in the breach, but it's, it, is, it, is, it is quite often breached, I suppose. What I've heard is that if you're more than eight people around the table, then you can start eating when you get your food. But otherwise, you should wait until everybody's been served. But I don't know if that's actually true or not. I don't know whether that's true or not. I'm pretty sure that there's there's this the the, the late etiquette queen of Sweden, Magdalena Ribbing. She had this wonderful column in 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 Dagens Nyheter, um, and I'm pretty sure that question came up very often. And she was she was like, no, there's no rule of eight. There's no rule of eight. But I don't know. I mean, the, the problem with etiquette is, is is that there's no there's no actual law, is there? There's just lots of lots of customs that can that can vary from family to family and from sort of social group to social group. So it's kind of hard to pin these things yeah. down, which is why I think this, you know, Richard's, Richard's article um, caused a lot of disagreement because it depends what, it can depend so much on what sort of circle you're in. For and sure. to an extent, I think it doesn't really matter whether the rule is when the host says Varsha good or after the opening tal or, or when everybody's been served because my experience is that is that people wait kind of anyway it's it's how long and and to be honest i'm quite greedy so this is this is one of the things that i think might be behind it is that a lot of people waiting 3 minutes before they start eating is nothing but for me it, it can be it can be agonizing <laughs> <laughs> i think that that's part, part part so i notice it whereas you wouldn't notice it if you like that. You need to take a bag of crisps with you in the car on the way. <laughs> that's what that's what several people suggested in the in the article. I think um, food is just something that always brings out these arguments. You can think it's quite a minor issue, but I've heard this from friends where they've been, um, you know, shouted at their Swedish partner for asking to have ketchup with pasta or lasagna. Um, all these things that seem second nature to you, but food is important to us and. Every culture has its quite strong traditions that maybe you don't realise how much they mean to you until you go away um, and have them insulted by other people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Richard, are you used to this custom yet or are you ever going to get used to it? Eating with my, my wife's family, I know now that when it's Christmas or something, it's going to take a long time before before you can start eating. And even though they're all sort of, you know, atheist, non-drinkers, they're still, they have a lot of self-control. For example, Christmas, the contrast between the UK where it's a kind of free-for-all, you just go for it from the moment you wake up, more or less. They wait till, like, it's dark, you know, until the, the end of the day before you open the first present, and everything is about delayed gratification. And uh, I think it's partly that, and I've acclimatised myself to that and got used to it. So, yes. I have. I am used to it. That's it for this week's episode, everybody. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. I want to give a big thanks to Emma, Catherine, James, and Richard for joining me today, and to our sponsor, Academicanas Arcasa. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave a rating. And if you want to support independent journalism, why not become a member of The Local Today? 
Sweden and Focus is a band of production in collaboration with The Local. Join me next Saturday for a brand new episode of Sweden in Focus. Take care. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.